today we are uh, going to continue in our um, study of uh, Breshit, of uh, Genesis. And in a way, we couldn't, this happens all the time. Like things happen just, you know, where, where we're going providentially uh, with all the weeks we take off and we come back to it to just the right week. So we're in chapter 39 of Genesis. And I can't think of a better chapter uh, to talk about when the majority of the women are not here, <laughs> as you'll see in the text. Okay, but it applies to everybody, so it's, you know, it's just kind of interesting that way. All right. So we know we're in the story of Joseph, right? We're in the story of Joseph. And if you are a Bible reader, just a Bible reader, right? Just like reading the Bible and observing what it says, you can tell just by reading the story of Joseph, which begins in chapter 37 and goes to the end of the book of Genesis, that it's a little different. It's a little different than the rest of the book. It's written a little differently. It brings out some different kinds of things. And some, in some ways, it's hard to tell. Well, what is that difference? Well, there's a, there's a few different things. And, and it's important just that I said it a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, but I'll say it again, and I'll probably repeat it like I usually do about a hundred times. And, uh, and that is, is that it's basically a story about people. And we know that jo the Bible tells us here, Joseph knows the Lord and, and all that, but you don't read of a great intervention, like, like a, a miraculous things that take place. Certainly, God is intervening all the way through. But you don't read miracles. You don't read, thus saith the Lord. You don't read, so to speak, God as a character in the story. Uh, and so it's very interesting here. Uh, uh, that uh, it's really the story about Joseph. It's really the story about Joseph and Joseph's faithfulness. And in a little while, we'll talk about that. Why so much emphasis on the faithfulness of Joseph? But that is one thing that you notice. You, you, you notice here. Another thing is, is that uh, the story is not really about Joseph. <laughs> it's about what God is doing. It's about the children of Israel going to Egypt. And we know that they have to go to Egypt in order to become slaves in Egypt, in order to be redeemed out of Egypt, which is this um, great moment in Israelite history. But we learn providentially uh, how that happens, meaning how God works in the affairs of human beings, in the decisions that people make, in the bad decisions people make, in the right decisions people make, in the sinful activity going on in the world, in the righteous activity going on in the world, that God is like weaving this thing. And, uh, and of course, you always want to remember that passage in, in a, in a, at a moment like this. You always want to remember that passage, I believe it's in Jeremiah chapter 18, about God being the potter and we're the clay, and it's not the other way around. In other words, we don't, uh, we don't have all the answers. We're the, we're the clay. You know, he's making us. And that means, to a certain degree, there's some mystery there. Because we, we don't understand exactly why he shapes and forms in the way he does. We are the recipients of it. We're not the creators of it. See? And as a good friend of mine once said, if we could figure it all out, that would be pretty scary. You know? Uh, and, it's, uh, and it's really true. It's really true. So one of the things, as we'll see, that, that we learn in this story is, 
it's not so much the why does it happen, but what is the response to what happens? The response to what happens in the story is, is the main thing. Not so much why it, it happens. God is, in, God is doing this great work. Joseph does not even understand it. Uh, he understands his own life and his own dilemma and his own struggles, but he does not necessarily understand, okay, I'm going to Egypt so that the whole family can show up there so that we can become slaves and we can be there for 400 years fulfilling what God said to Abraham about being in Egypt for 400 years so then that Moses can be born and then he can grow up in, in Pharaoh's house and then he can take us out of Egypt so that then we can be redeemed, we can be redeemed out of Egypt Oh, and then we can be in the wilderness for 40 years and enter the land. He probably does not know all of that, but he knows what he's doing in the story. Ugh, great lessons in that, as, as, as we'll see, of course. Right? Uh, and so those are some important things, uh, of course, to keep, uh, to keep in mind. A few other things, but, uh, you know, when, when we look at the story of Joseph. Okay, so I'm just going to read chapter 39, because, you know, in the Joseph story, it's a story. And so you can't sort of stop uh, it's like an episode, and we need the whole episode to understand what's, what's happening. So chapter 39 of Genesis. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Now remember, his brothers didn't like him, right? Uh, and frankly, depending on how you look at Joseph, uh, he's a character in chapter 37 that, you know, you could take him or leave him a little bit. You know, why does he uh, uh, tell his brothers uh, this dream that he's going to be over them? He seems to be like the privileged, the privileged son, and you know you have sons of four different mothers uh, here, and so there's a certain alignment of brothers, uh, and uh, and so uh, in chapter 37 you see almost like this classic case of what happens to brothers when one is favored over the others, and and uh, and how his brothers. For they decide they're going to kill him. Then they decide we're not going to kill him. We're going to make some money off of him. And he ends up being sold uh, to these uh, tra- uh, people who are in, in uh, you know, who are traveling through on their way to Egypt. Uh, and they sell him, uh, you know, uh, to these uh, traders who go down to Egypt. Uh, and, uh, and and then they take his coat, right? Uh, the multicolored coat, right? And they dip it in blood and they take it to their father, yeah, whom they love dearly, and they say, look, he's dead. Wow, uh, what a messed up family, right? Uh, and, uh, and that's where we leave it. So at the end of chapter 37, it says, Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. Then chapter 38 is about Judah. We already talked about that and why that's there. Then you go to chapter 39, it's a continuation of the story from chapter 37. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, uh, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. By the way, bodyguard is not a good word. It's not, it's not what it is. <laughs> Cook is what it means. He was the, uh, 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 Potiphar was the chief chef, Okay. Because doesn't that really help out from the, you know, you know, you've read this story. In the next chapter, you have the baker, right, uh, who uh, plays a role here, the candlestick maker. No, not the, uh, no, not him, the butler. It's the butler and the, uh, the baker uh, and, the, and the chef, 
that's who these characters are. Isn't that kind of interesting? Uh, so very, very interesting. Okay. Okay. Uh, and the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. All right, that second verse, of course, is very, very important to the whole story, right? Very important uh, to the whole story, all right? So uh, the Lord was with Joseph. That in and of itself is important. He is in Egypt. God is with him in Egypt. In our world, that might not mean anything. But in the ancient world, that meant a lot to read that, to, to know that. Because as you may know, gods, of course, people believed in many gods, uh, and that they were regional. Like gods lived in particular you know, uh, empires and, and uh, uh, countries, we'll say in our modern terminology, right? So here, God, the God of Israel is with Joseph in Egypt, okay? So he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. So God who was with him equals uh, he was successful uh, in what he was doing. Not because, uh, again, uh, so important that we get this because it's such a great, a profound truth in our lives. God did not say, you know, I really like Joseph. He's my kind of guy. And so I'm going to make him successful. I want him to make a lot of money, and I want him to be successful so he can have a happy life, so therefore I'm going to be with him. That is how we think today, oftentimes even when we pray. God, I know you want me to be happy, and so I know you want me to have whatever I want, and so I'm praying, Lord, for the perfect job. I'm praying for the perfect life, I'm because that's what you're supposed to do. That is not how it works. That is not the good news. That is not the Bible. That is, I can name a few people, but I won't. Uh, and uh, because what God is doing in Joseph's life is he's using Joseph to move forward his plan for the whole world. Isn't that amazing? And so Joseph's life is not about Joseph. It's about what God is doing in the world. And here is a faithful man who he can use for his purposes. And what a blessing it is. You know, we, would, we might say, if we were to talk about somebody else using us, we'd say, oh, that's like really bad. What am I, just some tool? You know? But when it's God, the God of the universe, he allows us to participate in what he's doing in this world, that's fantastic. See? And so Joseph, uh, without him even realizing it, really, uh, has been chosen to serve God in a unique kind of way. All right? All right. Now it says, Now his master saw that Joseph was with him, and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So this is evident to Potiphar that there's something special about this guy. God is at work. It's like a testimony. Okay? All right. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer uh, over, over his house, and all that he owned, he put him in his charge. Okay, so, you know, these are big jobs. Uh, being the chief chef, evidently, okay, uh, as well as the baker, as well as the butler. These are big-time jobs. Because Pharaoh, we're talking about Pharaoh, you, you know? Uh, and, and so Potiphar was a wealthy man. So Joseph becomes kind of like the comptroller of the estate. 
uh, he oversees the affairs of uh, Potiphar's of Potiphar's house. This is like, he's like a big macher, right? He's got this really big important uh, uh, job, and isn't it amazing? It wasn't like he was trained for it. It was he was a Hebrew slave, basically, as he's going to be referred to in this chapter later on, uh, and and here. Uh, God places him in a most amazing and unusual position uh, to be able to fulfill his calling. Does that sound familiar, by the way? I mean, I can think of like three or four Bible stories uh, where this happens. Esther, Daniel, a few others, right? So that's not a coincidence. In the Bible, you see that there are um, uh, uh, narratives we like to use the word narrative because they're true. We believe them to be true. True Stories has a sound of like story, like a storybook story. So when I say story, I mean like the story of their lives, okay? That uh, uh, you see the same type of, of, of activity. And it just shows us how God is faithful in many different uh, situations and generations uh, all, the way through the, uh, all the way through the Bible, Okay. Very, very much. You know, where we, when we have our Torah course, we see this. We see how this plays out. It's very, uh, very important for us to, uh, to understand. The Joseph story is, uh, in fact, what I will just, I'll just throw it out there now, because we'll talk about it next time also, is that Joseph and Daniel, very similar. I mean, extremely similar. Think about it. Dreams, prison being taken to another, uh, another place, rising up to uh, a place of great uh, uh, privilege, uh, not privilege, great responsibility in a, in a pagan culture. It's very interesting, right? God is at work over and over and over again. All right, we'll save the Daniel business for another time. Uh, all right, so now it says, and it came about from that time that he made him overseer in his house over all that he owned. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph, on account of Joseph. Thus, the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. Okay? Now, so he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge, and with him there he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Okay, so it's sort of like repeating itself. It's like repeating. It's like, get the point! <laughs> you know? Okay, God blessed Joseph showed favor on Joseph in a difficult place. He's separated from his family. Uh, he is in another culture. He is in another place. And look at how he ends up in a really important position because God is guiding and directing his affairs. And everything seems to be working out because God's hand is on, is on him. All right. So if we stop there, we'd say, all right, great. But now, suddenly, we take a left turn in verse 7. It came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire upon Joseph, and she said, lie with me. Okay, now Joseph is in a really weird situation now. So he's overseeing uh, all the affairs of Potiphar. Now, Potiphar's wife is like, Joseph, come lie with me, right? Enticing him, tempting, tempting him. All right. 
But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? He says two things. In a few moments when we apply all this, we'll, we'll talk more about it. But he says two things. It really would be stupid for me to do this. You know, it's like it would be irrational for me to do this. After all, look at the, I would be blowing my whole opportunity if I did this. But on top of that, how can I sin against God? So it's not just, hey, this would be great, but how can I sin against God? It's, this would, you know, on a very practical level, this would be a really stupid thing for me to do. It will have severe consequences, you know, horizontally, like in my life. But on top of it, how can I sin against God? It tells us, it tells us something about Joseph. It tells us that Joseph knew the Lord. Uh, you know, he could not, you cannot cultivate that in the moment. You have to already have that going on, you know, so that you're ready for the battle, so to speak, okay? And it came about as she spoke to Joseph day after day. This did not happen one time. Day after day. Come lie with me, Joseph. Come to me, Joseph. Woo-hoo. You know? Okay. I, uh, day after day, that he did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. So day after day, he faces this temptation. Day in and day out. We don't know exactly how long of a period of time uh, it was. Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the household were there inside. She caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me! And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. He ran away. Oh, how practical is that? Right? He ran away. And she caught him. Oh, I already said that. Okay. When she saw that he had left his garment uh, in her hand and had fled outside, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought in a Hebrew to us uh, to make sport of us. That's an interesting word. It can be used in a lot of different ways, but it's uh, off of the word Yitzchak, like Isaac's name, Chazak, or Chosek, actually. But it means, Chazak means strength. But uh, uh, Tzachak, Tzachak means laugh, means laugh, to laugh at us, okay? It can have sexual innuendos, though, uh, in other, uh, in different contexts. Uh, and so she, uh, she says that here, okay? Uh, to make sport of us, to make fun of us. Uh, let's see, there we go. So she says here, he came in to me to lie with me and I screamed, of course, she's lying. She's lying uh, about this. This did not happen. And it came about when he heard that I raised my voice and screamed that he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. So she left his garment beside her until his master came home. 
Then she spoke to him with these words. The Hebrew slave whom you brought to us came into me to make sport of me. And it happened as I raised my voice and screamed that he left his garment beside me and fled outside. So here, uh, the word, you'll notice that uh, she says make sport of us when she speaks to the uh, other people. But she says, make sport of me when she's talking to her husband. That he, what she's saying to the other people is to ridicule us, to make fun of us. But when she's talking to her husband, the word has more of a, of a sexual uh, meaning. To uh, sort of, uh, you might, well, he's basically saying he tried to rape me. But in a way that is saying he... For his own, you know, he tried to have fun with me. He tried to take me and, and you know, for his own uh, pleasure. And, you know, that's kind of the, the connotation of the word in that context. Okay. So then uh, we read here. Okay. Now it came about when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him saying, this is what your slave did to me, that it, then his anger burned. Boy, based on those words, absolutely, right? So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the jail. But the Lord, well, first of all, we'll just say, stop there. Wait a minute. I thought you said the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him, and he is accused of, of really bad crimes that he didn't do? He's like framed? And now he goes to jail? The Lord's with him? Explain that. How could the Lord be with him if something like that happens? Ah, because it's not about Joseph. This is about what God is doing. And it's interesting because we see the Lord is, okay, now he's in prison. Now he's in a bad place. But the Lord is with Just like the Lord was with him in Potiphar's house. The Lord is with him right now. The circumstances do not determine whether the Lord is with him or not. The circumstances are the circumstances. What people do is what people do. But the question of God never leaving him or forsaking him is not based on the circumstances whatsoever, but on the work and the promise of God. So, in verse 21, But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer, just like Potiphar. Now he, now he finds uh, that the chief jailer shows him kindness. And the chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail, so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. So, the words are the same as with Potiphar. It's written that way on purpose for us to get that, that the Lord was with uh, uh, Joseph, even though the circumstances now uh, had changed. So that's why from Joseph's point of view, why is this, you know, he may have asked, why is this happening to me? I'm minding my own business. I didn't come here because I applied for the job, you know? Uh, and, and here things are working. The Lord is with me. Okay, I can. But now I'm now I'm in jail, and I didn't do anything wrong. 
what have you done for me lately, you know? Uh, and, uh, but the text tells us very clearly here that God is with him uh, in the jail. Now, in chapter 40, we learn that he needs to go to the jail in order to interpret the dreams of the baker and, uh, and of the butler, so this will eventually get him to Pharaoh. But he doesn't know that yet, and neither do we, right? Right. When, you know, you get the most out of this story when you try, when you try to read it just, you know, without knowing what happens at the end of the story, right? It's, it, uh, it, it's full of intrigue, uh, you know, in that way, uh, in that way. All right. So what do we get out of this? What is, uh, you know, what, what do we uh, learn about this? First, the first thing that we need to get out of this and understand is uh, that unlike, unlike the, uh, what we read about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, unlike what we read about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we can't find anything that Joseph has done here wrong that God has to rescue him from. Do you remember in the story of Abraham and in Isaac, both, both, both Abraham and Isaac, they end up placing themselves and their wives in a very precarious place where uh, their wives could be taken into Pharaoh's harem because of decisions that they've made, right? But God must rescue that. God must change the mind of the Pharaoh and reveal things to him so that the promise uh, uh, is able to continue. That uh, one of the things that we read about clearly in, in the entire narrative of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is that God must come to the rescue over and over again in order to save the day, in order to save the promise, okay? In the Joseph story, what we see is the faithfulness of Joseph. I mean, it's about the faithfulness of Joseph. The rescuing that God does is all through the decisions Joseph makes, not despite the decisions that Joseph makes. With Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as great as, great as they are, it's despite some of the decisions that they make that they're able to move forward. With Joseph, it's because of the decisions that he makes. Okay, so what about that? What about that is this. What we see is the faithfulness of Joseph. The faithfulness of Joseph. If you were going to ask me, uh, Howard, what is the, um, in the entire overarching book of Genesis, what would we say is the message about God and his relationship to people? Oh, and I would say, hey, I'm glad you asked me that question. Uh, and the answer is, is the faithfulness of God. God does not destroy humankind. He raises up Abraham. You know, the next after God tells Abraham to leave uh, uh, where he was and come to the place that God showed him, and Abraham goes... And God says, I'm going to give you all this land. What's the next thing he does? He goes down to Egypt and says, tell him you're my sister. Okay, that's the next thing he does. God has to rescue him, right? We see with Isaac, ay, 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 I, Isaac with, with uh, Jacob and Esau and Isaac himself, uh, God has to rescue the situation. Come to the rescue. God is faithful. Despite the people, God is faithful, right? Now, in the Joseph story, it's sort of like, balances out a little bit. Now say, wow, the faithfulness of Joseph. What does it tell us? That in the covenant relationship with God, yes, it's all about the faithfulness of God, but there's, believe it or not, there's a but. But in order to appropriate, 
In order to appropriate the faithfulness of God, people need to be faithful, right? People need to be faithful, right? Abraham had to leave Haran. Abraham had to leave his family and come to the promised land. He had to do that. He had to go. He needed to be faithful to appropriate the unconditional promise, okay? Uh, And so what we learn here is that when we're in covenant relationship with God, we need to be faithful to the Lord. You know, and we see it here so, so clearly uh, in the issue with Potiphar's wife. In the issue with Potiphar's wife, Joseph remains faithful to God. He does not commit adultery in his relationship with God by lying with the wife of Potiphar. How can I sin against God, right? Uh, Faithful uh, indeed uh, to God. And that we need to understand that ourselves. In fact, you read in a passage like Ezekiel chapter 36, when uh, that's where uh, you read that God says, uh, even though you profane my name, I'm going to bring you back uh, to the land, right? And, and there he even says, I'm going to put my spirit within you. And then what does it say? And then you'll live happily ever after and you'll just be uh, loving, uh, you'll be worshiping me and singing songs and having a good old time. No, it says, so that you will obey my statutes and ordinances. In other words, he's saying, uh, in that day, you know, uh, when the Ruach is poured out, I will place my spirit within you, and you will be able then to be faithful. You, you'll, be a, you'll, you'll be able to live that Torah way of life. You'll, like we read about in, in, Genesis, in this week's Torah portion, in fact. In this week's very Torah portion. Uh, we, what do we read in, uh, go back to Genesis chapter uh, 18, I believe it is, in verse 19. For I have chosen, speaking of Abraham, I have chosen him in order that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. Derech Adonai, to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice in order that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. There is a responsibility to be faithful to God to be able to appropriate the blessings of God. And, and so we see that just in, in the fact that Joseph is like the star of this story uh, here. And it's about how he is able, indeed, to be faithful. Now, in the Brit in the New Covenant, this issue of faithfulness, very, very important. In um, uh, the book of Romans, in the sixth chapter, it's kind of interesting here that he says, what am I doing? Oh, here we are. Okay. Basically, without reading the whole thing, he's saying, uh, first he answers this, question, this rhetorical question. Shall we continue in sin that grace might increase? Shall we keep on sinning so that we can experience more of the grace of God? After all, that's just the way we are, and that's how it goes, and God loves us so much, he's going to forgive all our sins. He says, man, never be. That, that's not how it works. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? And what he's talking about in these first 10 or so verses is identification in the Lord. You are identified in Messiah, in his death, in his resurrection. Recognize this. Know this. Notice this. Reckon. 
Reckon yourselves. Think of yourselves. It's dead to sin, but alive to God. You are identified in him. What did Paul say in another place? Uh, I have died uh, in Messiah. It is no longer I who live, but Messiah lives in me. The life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. He's, he sees himself as identified in the life of Yeshua. So then he says, going down here in verse 12, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. That's not who you are. But notice he, he doesn't say here, well, now that you're in Messiah, you won't be able to sin anymore. So relax. He doesn't say that. He, sa- he gives them like a command, cut it out. Don't you know who you are? So the will is very important. The will, the desire for righteousness combined with the presence of the Ruach within us brings about blessing in our lives. A desire, a will to be faithful. So he says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust. He has to still say that even though they know the Lord. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. Be like you're resurrected and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. That's very important in relationship to what we're talking about here with Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Joseph is living like a new covenant kind of life here. He's not presenting his body parts and obeying its lusts, but he's choosing God. He knows the Lord, but he has to make a conscious decision not to lie with her. And he says two things. One is, it'd be totally irrational for me to do that. But above and beyond that, I belong to God. It's not just sin against God. I belong to God. Every part of my body belongs to him for righteousness. See? So this reminds me, oh, of another passage. Since we're in the neighborhood, go to chapter 12 of Romans. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. You know, when he says that, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. It's like, I'm, you know, I'm begging you. I'm begging you, like, whatever it takes, you know. By the mercies of God. You know, if anybody ever said that to you, like, please, by the mercies of God, don't do that thing. You know, he's very emotional when he's saying this. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. In other words, when, when, what that means is a living sacrifice. I'm saying, God, do with me what you will. Do with me what you will. It's about surrender. I surrender myself to you, Lord. I'm a living and holy sacrifice. Consumed by you, Lord. Do with me what you will. And I could go on in this passage, but I'm not going to. All right? But, uh, but that is a faithful... The, the, what I'm getting at is that we have a responsibility by our will to be faithful to the covenant. And that God's faithfulness plus our faithfulness equals satisfaction in God and, and, and appropriating uh, you know, his calling in our lives and being able to be used by the Lord for purposes beyond our own happiness. 
Who knows what difference you are making in history and in the lives of other people by being faithful to God when it hurts? Wow. What we do know is, is that you are making it. See, that's what we know. We know that we are making a difference somewhere, somehow, by remaining faithful even when it hurts. And even when we don't understand why. And we don't know why this thing happened. It's unfair. It is unjust. It is wrong. Joseph should not be in prison. He didn't do anything wrong. But he's right where he's supposed to be. That is what it means, one might say, therefore, than to be a living sacrifice. So this issue of, of faithfulness, of covenant faithfulness, comes out in Genesis. Not only is it that God saves the day, but a godly man is used by God to save the day. Okay? So the faithfulness of Messiah followers, of God followers, is accentuated here. That God brings his plan about in that way. Now, since we're, though, uh, in this uh, subject of, uh, of uh, Potiphar's wife and Joseph, uh, that is, um, uh, you know, we can't go by that. Because one of, the, um, one of the primary ways of unfaithfulness to God is when we are tempted, uh, in, tempted to sin. When we're tempted and we fall to sin. That is like, that's what happens, right? Now, uh, temptation comes in varieties of ways. It can be little temptations, and, uh, and we sin without much consequence, uh, even though it's wrong. Then it can be real huge ones, right, that affect our lives and our families and everything uh, for, for the rest of our lives and the lives of other people. So there's all, you know, all kinds of ways uh, that we fall to temptation, okay? So I want us just to turn to a couple of passages uh, one is uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 6. Now these things happen as, as examples for us that we should not crave evil things as they also craved. He's talking about the wilderness, the wilderness wanderings. And that's a great statement that we can look at those texts uh, and we can say, wow, they've been written for our benefit, that we can learn from them. Uh, about uh, uh, about not committing uh, idolatry, about not committing idolatry. Which, by the way, I won't turn to all the texts, but but it, but if you read Colossians, the book of Colossians carefully, uh, immorality is considered not only adultery but idolatry uh, as well. Idolatry, uh, uh, putting other, uh, putting an idol before a god. Uh, that uh, you know that uh, that is um, that's taking our uh, uh, our devotion uh, rather than God, you know. And what I said to someone just the other day was regarding this: that if it's true that we are going to be a living sacrifice, God, do with me what you will. And if it's true that uh, I've died, I've been crucified with Messiah, yet it is no longer, and it is no longer I who live, but Messiah lives in me then you've got to ask yourself, is this what Yeshua would do? Is this how, if, if he's living out my life, is, are the choices that I make demonstrating that or not? You know, I, and so there's a lot that goes into, uh, you know, into the decisions uh, that we make. All right. So here it says, these things happen as examples for us that we should 
um, uh, we should not crave evil things as they also craved. And do not be idolaters, see, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat, drink, and stood up to play. That comes from the golden calf, right, episode. Nor let us act immorally, as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord, as some of them did. And were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble, as some of them did. Uh-oh. And were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. So it's very interesting. Notice uh, uh, that it says God is faithful. We do not have to fall to whatever temptation it may be, whether it be immorality, grumbling, trying the Lord, acting immorally, whatever, whatever it may be, right? But there is a way out. There is a way out. And notice that it's, it doesn't say there's a way out so then you won't be tempted anymore. Look at what it says at the end of that verse. It says that you might be able to, does it escape it? No. Uh, to never have it again? No. It says endure it, to be able to endure it. Meaning, the power of God, the, 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 the Ruach, enables us, just like Ezekiel said, you know, to obey God, to obey God's uh, ways, to obey uh, his statutes and his ordinances, to live the way of the Lord to be able to endure it, to be able to endure the temptation, see? Uh, and, uh, and so that takes a cultivated life of faithfulness. It doesn't happen by being tempted and saying, boy, I haven't read my Bible in about six months. Lord, help me. You're, you know, I, I haven't really uh, been thinking about spiritual things in a long time. Lord, help me. Oy, may God help you, okay? But, if you cultivate that life, if you cultivate that walk with the Lord, you know, by you can think about your, your reading the scriptures and praying and being in fellowship and all of that, and, uh, and all that as practice. That's all practice. As I said to someone recently, do you know that reading the Bible does not make you spiritual all by itself? Even praying, all that. But it's when the rubber meets the road, when you make the right choice, being motivated and empowered by God to do the right thing in the moment, in the big game, so to speak, that is spirituality. It's about, it's about a transformed life. It's not about how much I know or how many hours I spend praying. It's about, is there a change in my life? Is something going on? And so all of that, reading the Bible, praying, thinking about the things of God, you know, learning verses to be able to say in the moment of temptation to, so I can tell myself the truth, you know. All of that is practice for the moment, you see. So that's why, you know, we, that's why we are blowing up the YouVersion uh, uh, app there, right? 
Oh, man, everybody's going to town on it at Beth Messiah. Well, I just hope it'll last at least two weeks. You know what I mean. <laughs> I hope that uh, we're uh, faithful to it and that, and that we keep reading the Bible. And you know, when you make friends on there, you know what happens? You become accountable because, oh, yes, oh, yes, uh, Henry has completed day nine, day 99, day 299, right? And we can say that all about our all about our, ourselves, and that way uh, you can see me. I'm on there. You can be, you can be friends with me there, right? And then you can see. Oh, did Howard read uh, the uh, the portion for today? Oh, you'll be able to tell, and that's a good thing. It keeps us all straight, you know. Uh, but that is indeed what it takes. And then I just wanted to read something in uh, James very quickly about this issue of uh, of uh, temptation. All right, in the book of James. In the first chapter, in verse uh, 12, 13, 14, and 15, Blessed is the person who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived. <laughs> Isn't that what happens, right? Do not be deceived. And so when we're walking with, we need to be ready. We need to be ready at all times. Have the guard up at all times. We need to be thinking and being prepared because we live in a world where temptation is everywhere. Everywhere. Now, in our, in our story here, yes, it's about sexual temp temptation, right? And, and uh, we can't say enough about that. You know, I, I think it's pretty interesting that he, when, he, when Joseph says, you know, you want, you want me to lie with you, you want me to have sex with you, but I'm, I'm in charge of everything, you know? So on one hand, it means I'm accountable to Potiphar, but it also means I'll lose everything for a moment, for a boop. I'll lose it all, you know? And on top of it, how can I sin against God? How can I, I uh, break my covenant uh, with uh, God? But that temptation is the same as many other temptations, right? That we need to be prepared because, you know, when, we're, when we least expect it, right? Remember that TV show, Candid Camera, right? When you least expect it, then it would smile. But this one is, when you least expect it, bam! You can ruin your life. Bam! You, you, could, you, could, you could ruin everything. And live an entire life of regret about a moment. You need to be ready. Whether we're talking about sexual uh, you know, issues, or anger issues, or other kinds of, of stealing from work, or... Other things, uh, there, there's, there's a zillion kinds of temptations that are all designed, uh, you know, to, to, tear us, to tear us apart, right? And, uh, and so when we talk about living a life of godliness, of faithfulness to God, that's where the action is. When you withstand temptation, when you find a way of escape, because you really do love God more than whatever it is. God will show you favor in that. He will bless you in that. Look at how God used Joseph. If he had gone and slept with Potiphar's wife, as they say, forget about it. Forget about the rest of the story. 
but he was able to indeed be faithful. And so uh, that is a great, uh, a great lesson, you know, uh, uh, for us. Your story is bigger than your life. Your story, God has called you in Messiah. God has called you to, to great things. We, you may never even know what they all are. Maybe they have to do with your children or your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren that you may never even see. You don't know. But in the moment, remain faithful. Recognize that God is indeed at work. We are called to demonstrate, to live the derech Adonai, the way of the Lord. And remember what God said here about Abraham, for I have chosen him in order that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. We affect everybody when we choose right in our mind, in our desire, in our zeal. And as we walk with the Lord and and are empowered by the Ruach, you will see that God will do this work uh, in in your life. So this issue of faithfulness, even when we are tested indeed with temptation, we can be overcomers. We live in Messiah Yeshua. Uh, and, uh, And so we can really move forward and be the men and women who we really, really want to. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, God, for uh, this episode in the life of Joseph. Lord, we thank you, God, that discipline plus desire brings victory. Lord, may we be living sacrifices to you, like like Joseph, even though he didn't understand or knew any of those scriptures, and then the Messiah had not yet come. But Lord, we thank you, God, that uh, you were at work in his life and that he was attuned to you. Oh, Lord, oh God. And, and thank you that in his faithfulness, yes, you did indeed bless him in his being separated from his family and all that. And as we'll see next time, even in the jail, Lord, you've blessed him. But Lord, right now, at the end of our chapter right now, it, it is that uh, he has been unjustly placed in prison. It is unfair. It is wrong. It is unjust, Lord. But you are indeed at work. Lord, we might find in our lives things are not the way they're supposed to be. But Lord, thank you, God, that as we remain faithful to you, you will do great things in our lives, in our families' lives, Lord. And uh, so may we uh, live uh, by your faithfulness, in your faithfulness, God, as Joseph did. And we thank you and we pray in Yeshua's name.